Uh, like, what does it mean to love yourself? I mean, I think it's being comfortable in your own skin, confident in your abilities, and also being aware that your mind is an uncontrollable thing that will feed you a lot of negative thoughts. Right. And that's okay. <clears throat> is this too, too loud? Is this too loud? Okay. Check one. Check two. For my ears or for you? No, for your ears. No, it's good. It's good for your ears? Yeah. All right, cool. So I'll do like the quick... Do we do this or do I... Uh, no, 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 no. We can talk like this. It doesn't really matter. Because what I do is like I cut, 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 cut back and forth. I do so, like to look at the camera a lot. Yeah, you so. can look at the camera. You're a beautiful man. All right. So let me... Uh, la- hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my wonderful faux queens and faux kings. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Fall with Jonathan Garano, where, hey, sometimes I talk to myself, but a lot of the times I bring on great creators. They come in, they talk about their careers, and then we just like spill the fall. Today... Guys, I have someone amazing right now. We're definitely going to be talking about what he does. He's a comedian, but also he did something quite beautiful recently where he got into the CBS Diversity Showcase. And that is something that I kind of want to like focus on. And then now, because of who he is as a person, because he's so talented, he's booking commercials, he's all over the place, he's been on American Housewife, he, like, just go on his fucking IMDB, his name is Gregory Santos, but one thing before we even get started, dude. Yeah. So I was like doing a little bit research and something popped up and I, I kind of want to like get into it. You were part of like this thing called the Tunguski Yacht Club. Oh, that's right. right. The Tunguska Yacht Club. Right. And yeah. I Googled what the hell it is. It's an explosion mm-hmm. from a comment mm-hmm. in 1908. Why, why did you, what's so, this about? So I started comedy in San Diego in 2009 and I think in 2010, uh, a big group of us were like, we should start making content. Okay. So ahead of the game. You know what I mean? 2010. 2000, oh, 2010, not 2014. 2010. Oh, my God. So, which we, you know, it's not ahead of the game, but you know what I mean. Um, and we started this group called the Cool Party Guys. Mm. And it was like 10 of us. And it was just a little bit too chaotic. And then me and one of them, a guy named Billy Bonnell. Not sure if you ever met him. No, never met Billy Bonnell. We left that group and started our own group, and it was his idea to call it the Tunguska Yacht Club because it's uh, it's landlocked, so there's obviously no water, and it was also where there was a meteor explosion. And you guys were going to be the meteor explosion in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Yeah. But then, here's the problem. About one month in, people are like, what are you guys called, and how do you spell that, and how do we find you? So it was funny for us, but terrible for branding. Well, I mean, I was, I mean, you guys had a lot of sketches, at least. We did. We had a couple of hits. I think our most famous like calling card was a, a, a sketch called "Killing Time." Killing Time, where we're in the we're like in an office, and I like mime to him. I'm bored. I'm going to kill myself, and then he does another miming, and it just escalates into like a full on battle scene. Wait, is everything that you do is kind of in the realm of? Okay, so I've been like studying. Do you mm-hmm. think it's more like self-deprecating humor that you have that's revolved around like death? Because you just said killing time, and oh. then recently you just talked about <laughs> your dead well, mother, and then you just had a sketch about you know your mother in well, like some ashes that like reincarnated yes. somehow. So is that something it's about that to get you play even with? more morbid? Yeah, go more ahead. morbid. No, go ahead. Billy has two deceased. His dad committed suicide and okay. his grandfather committed suicide. He talks about this openly, so I'm not like sharing any sort of uh, trauma that he hasn't shared with the world. And here's where it gets even weirder. In our sketch of Killing Time, one of our friends since has passed because he took his own life. Oh, he did. And in the sketch, he's miming oh, taking his own life. This is this is the... So I'm in the comedy world, you know, uh-huh. Morgan, all those mm-hmm. individuals. 
this is the guy that offed himself like a few months ago. Mm-hmm, correct. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. But no. it's it is so he it's so crazy, and I think he would have enjoyed the irony. Uh, enjoy the irony. He's you know he was hilarious. He was a dark mind. He was a sweet soul, and so so yeah. So I guess we do. I don't know if it's just out of nihilism or just the fact that we maybe mask our pain with humor, but right. we tend to do a lot of dark things. But then at the same time, we also have you know videos about like. The, we had a video right. where like the Wi-Fi network was called Jared has eight dicks, right? And it's because Jared had eight penises. And you had one where you're a cop and you talk to individual, like the cop that wants to take good photos, yes. and that yes. went viral a little bit. Mm-hmm. But like, how does a comedian like yourself, who's like growing, like how do you deal with death? Like you go to the funeral, is everyone joking around? Like what? How do you deal with it on a personal level? Because you know, studies in psychology say that the, a lot of the times when people want to be vulnerable and how they hide it. Is either a they make fun of their friends as a joking mm-hmm. matter they make oh, fun man. of them, they make fun of themselves yeah or they mask it by just like shoving it off and just saying oh just it's whatever yeah so is there actual pain in there or oh like, yeah I mean of course it'd be it'd be insane to say that you don't feel pain I think for me personally I've had a lot of death in my life mm-hmm. and I, like my parents had me at an older age so I lost a lot of like the older family members very early. So like I've, you know, by like, and I don't know if it's like a Latin thing or just like a cultural thing. I feel like, you know, non-white cultures really uh, express themselves when death happens, right? With like food and gathering and, and they bring their kids to funerals. I went to my first funeral and I was like eight years old. And who passed from there? It was a, 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 it was like a, a family friend. Yeah, and then yeah. everyone's just like, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. Or this yeah. is kind of like the family reunion type of situation yeah. where people like come together, yeah. they kiss, and then... Are you Catholic? I am Catholic. Oh, I'm you're not, pra- like, not practicing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... I, I'm, I'm Latin. No, that makes we're, sense. I feel like we're superstitious more than we are religious. That's right. Cubans are mm-hmm. very, very superstitious. Like, yeah. would you say that since Cubans are like, I just have to follow God, so therefore good karma happens? Yes, I would say that. Are you? From my experience, it was more so of like just... Uh, doing the things to be trick God to get into heaven. Is that how And you, like I wear, you know, I wear this not because I'm religious. It's St. Lazarus and uh, I forget her Is name. that like a scapular of some sort? Uh, oh, yeah. So if you if you get shot or you die, oh, man. you go straight to heaven. Straight to heaven. And so do you believe in, in karma, do you think? I do believe in karma. Okay. And I don't know about way. reincarnation, but I do believe, you know, the good you put in is the good you get out. So the one thing that I kind of want to like focus on, especially like, thank you for sharing that death thing. And I definitely want to like dive yeah, into yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing comedians are more than anything is we are open maybe more than we should be, but I think it's, you know, I'm not sharing anything that I wouldn't normally share, you know? Well, I mean, I think your comedic style is very on the like story aspect of your own life. Yeah. Right. And yes. so yes. where does that what made you decide and go, okay, Greg, I want to start stand-up. I think it was, what, 2009? 2009. 2009. I want to start stand-up comedy in 2009. And you're trying all these different things, but what makes you go, this is the type of comedy that I want to do? Because some people do like one-off jokes. Mm-hmm. Some people do sing-alongs. Some people talk about sex all the time. Yours is, I want to talk about stories of my life yeah. and hit a different punchline somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I just think early on, if I... Remember, like, I would see set up punchline comics, and while they are clever and creative, I was to me, it wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling. Like, I know people that, you know, they'll spend their day writing actual jokes. Mm. I'm, that's not me, and that there's no knock to them. 
their process or mine. So I think early on, I was just like, okay, how do I thrive in a group setting? How do I always just make people laugh right. outside of being on stage? And it's telling stories. And but I also wouldn't say that I'm like a traditional storyteller because sometimes storytellers go for like a very long story, like Michael Mike Bibbly. Right, right, right. I would say I'm like somewhere in the middle, where like I'm telling fun anecdotes about my life in a more succinct way. Does that help with your own writing or when it comes to your sketches? And oh then, yeah. So what is like what's one thing that you're kind of like working right now on, and then hopefully you can mm. you know grow. It's um, funny, like right in the content wise, content wise, hashtag but, content. Yes, hashtag content. You know, because and well, then from there we can, you yeah, know, other we, stuff that you we dropped. Me about. and my roommate dropped some COVID videos. Just we did some very uh, bootstrapped two person videos in the height of COVID, and then we've pretty much dropped them. All. I think I have one more to release, and now we might do some things that lean political. <laughs> Oh, that's good. But also very highly satirical. I mean, I have this thing where I believe that like Trump, for example, has helped so many comedians growth. Dude, I say this all the time. I I try to like, as liberal as I am, I try to tell people like, you also need to acknowledge that he has increased donations to the ACLU, increased uh, output in the democratic process. Like you need, you need evil for good, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, Now I don't, I do hope that this evil leaves us at some point, but like even for comedy and content and late night and uh, you know, people who have like made a living off of just replying to him. Sometimes I'll, I'll see people reply to him on Twitter and it has like 5,000 likes. And it's just like some, some guy in Iowa who just talks shit to the president. And he's able to go viral because of it. Yes. I mean, John Stewart said this, like uh, I think in like 2012, 12, where he said, "If Trump runs for president and he wins, mm-hmm. I can buy my own little wing because I'm just going to make a lot of money out yes. of it." Yes, I'm so glad he said that because it's absolutely true. So it kind of like makes me wonder. I remember, like in 2016, before I voted, there was an article that said, like, if Trump doesn't win, then what are these comedians going to do? And I was like, oh, that is such a good ad. Yeah. Uh, an example is, have you heard of this woman named Sarah Cooper? Yeah. So Netflix special. Right. Oh my God. Netflix special. All yeah. because like, I absolutely adore her. Like I met yeah. her. So she's in the San Francisco scene of create of creators. But I was thinking about that. I'm like, if Trump didn't exist, then people like her and her Netflix special wouldn't be around. If right. that makes sense. If I was that artist, I would have to find some sort of way to acknowledge that. Yeah. To like feel, and look, I, she's earned it beyond that, right? Right. She wrote a book. She's 42. She's right. making things happen. But my, like, my, I guess my personal insecurity or like my personal way of like showing the world, I, you have to address it somehow. You right. do have to address it. Is that what you do in your own comedy? So for example, I'm in comedy, I'm in your comedy journey. Mm-hmm. Like how does someone get into the CBS diversity showcase? Uh, but before we get there, I think one thing that I am so enamored by mm-hmm. you is that preparation meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want you to talk about kind of that that side of you from starting comedy all the way to, you know, going to San Diego as a stand-up comedian and then moving to Los Angeles and all the ups and downs that you had. And it's been freaking 11 years. And finally, after 11 years, I am booking big projects. So... Where do where, if I'm a person in the creative industry, especially if I want to send up stand up comedy, and I start in 2009, tell your story in such a way, and then what is that driving lesson from there? So I I guess it all goes it goes back to when I'm 20, hmm. and that's phew, I'm old guys. No, you're not. <laughs> so when I'm 20, I am in Los. I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm in Vegas when I'm 20, and I'm just partying so hard. 
like way too much. And I, I fail a drug test to work in a casino. One of my late, he's technically my cousin, but I called him my uncle. His best friend basically just got me. A, he was, I would have had an incredible job at like age 20. Right. I would have had like a pension, all this shit. And I failed the, the drug test for marijuana. Of course. And then at that point, I called a family friend who lived in San Diego and he owned a business. It was a staffing company. And I just called him and I knew his children. So his, him and his, he married a Cuban lady on our block. I grew up in this neighborhood called Berman, Berman Street. It's on my arm. Tattoo, tattoo. Yeah. Probably not smart. I did this all before acting. Um, they put makeup on. They do. And they always do. They complain, but then they do it. Um, so anyway, this, this guy marries this Cuban woman on our block. They have kids around when my parents have kids. So I grew up with this family and he has a business. He's a multimillionaire. He was very Yoda-like. He was always like a mentor. He was like a born mentor. So I called him and I was like, hey man, I need to leave Las Vegas. Will you please get me a job? And he was like, yeah. So I started in the Las Vegas office. Then I moved to San Diego. And I'll never forget when I, one night after dinner, he like pulled me aside and he was like, I know you moved here for more reasons that you'll tell me. Mm. He's like, just know that if you need anything, I'll, I'll, I'll bail you out. If you have any sort of issues, you can talk to me. (laughs) But he goes, but I can't do that in Mexico. He goes, so don't ever go to Mexico. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny because I'm like, I'm like very oddly loyal to like weird rules like that. Right. I never. You've I never, think, you've I never have been, been but during that time where I was like under his wing, I was like, Mm-mm, I'm not going to do it because had I gone and gotten in trouble, he would be so angry at me. Of course. So anyway, I work, I started working for him and when I'm 21, like right when I'm about to turn 21, he knows that I've always had an affinity for comedy. Because okay. he's, he's known me my whole life. And I've been, I've always been kind of a, an idiot. He enrolls me in a stand-up comedy class. Ooh. He's like, he was always like, he would always say like, follow your dreams, money will follow. Follow your dreams, money will follow. Mm-hmm. If you pursue your dreams, money will follow. He's like, it might not be quick, but it'll happen. He's like, it'll eventually happen. If you, if you, if you pursue your dreams earnestly... And with dedication, you will make money. I mean, you probably have like slept in your car from time to time, like barely never that made bad. It. But then there, you know, it's gotten bad, but not that bad. Right? Yeah. Bank account overdraft sometimes. Oh, of course. Oh, dude, yeah. high five! Hell yeah. yeah! Yeah. So I take this comedy class at the La Jolla Comedy Store, and I meet another comedian who's in high school at this time. His name's Taylor Williamson. He's a very close friend of mine to this day. Didn't he win something? He won. He got second place on America's Got Talent. Oh, that's right. Taylor. So I bring that up a because that was like one of the biggest and most important relationships I made for comedy super early. Now, while I'm taking this class, my family friend also offers to take me on a all expense paid trip, uh, cruise to Eastern Europe, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Germany, uh, Prague, Estonia, Jesus Christ. You're so charismatic and really like just friendly and gregarious that people love you so much. Great. Dude, I joked around. I was like, I made the traveling team somehow. Oh my God. And you know, I'm, I'm very close with his son at this time. Okay. And I don't finish the class because clearly I'm going to go to Eastern Europe. Yeah, I'm course. 21 years old. I don't Opportunity, understand. Yeah. And then I just dive into working for him. I get. What are you doing for him again? He Adenorik? he owns he owned a staffing company. So I started as a receptionist. Okay. And after six years, I was an operations manager. Okay. So you're here and you're just like boom, crushing it. Every single day, 40, 50 hours a week. Oh, dude, sixty. My my friends used to joke around. They used to call me Corporate Greg. Corporate Greg, dude. I was. He had like a recommended reading list. I read. I would read all those books. It was like good to great, built to last. Jack Welch is winning, and I was always just like, well, I'll teach you how to be rich. Yes, yeah. Think and grow rich. So, yes. yes. So after doing that for six years, I was like, I cannot do this anymore. Okay, I just cannot do this anymore. And 
I kind of started to realize that being under someone else's wing like that, I was in, I was always low power status. I was always in debt to him for everything that he's done for me. And while I was grateful, I, I felt that I would never get out of that. Okay, I would always be chasing sense. my own like freedom and my own It's like you're helping, place. You're helping somebody else. Yes. You're loyal to somebody else, but you're thinking at this time, six years after working, it's like, what about Greg? Yeah. Yeah. And wow. I'm like, is this what I'm going to do for my life? You know, clock in and clock out and sit at a desk for 10 hours and work from home and send, you know, like it was, it, look, it just wasn't for me. So I gave him a, I went to an open mic. I remember it was August. It was either August or September of 2009. I go to an open mic. Right. You know, I, I did it. I still have the video. It's horrific to watch. Um, people do laugh. That's always good. Um, a little chuckles here and there. And then I gave him a six month notice. I was like, you know, I've, you've oh, done, really nice. you've done everything for me. I respect you. And then I gave a six month notice and I felt like that's where the relationship started to, to deteriorate with the family. Oh my God. Yeah. It's kind of like Peggy and Don, uh, Don and fucking Mad Men. Never seen it. Okay. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So I started to feel a little ostracized and maybe there's more reasons. Was it because like, he's like, here's my, basically your son. Like he thinks of you kind of like, and it's like, oh my God, is do you think was a little bit of betrayal to him in his own eyes or maybe it was psychologically, I'm going to miss him. So the only way that I can get away with him. So that way I don't miss him so much is by being a little distant. I mean, gosh, I hope it. I don't think he would ever admit that. I think it was, he, he reminds me of, uh, Roy Logan in succession. Okay. But for a millionaire, not a billionaire. Okay. Okay. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Dude, I watched that show and I go, oh my God, that's exactly how, like, you know, pinning people together. It was, it was, it was very interesting. So from there, that's where I start stand up. I start stand up. I give him six months notice. I leave. I'm making as like, I'm like a 25, 26 year old kid. Yeah. And I was making a fuck ton of money for that age. Right. I was like making close to 90 grand. Yes. I quit to go work at a bar as a bar back, making like 10 bucks an hour right. and just tips for the week. At least you have all that money saved up, hopefully. No. <laughs> Daddy liked to spend his money. <laughs> now I'm much better. Right. But at that time, no way. So uh, I started working at this bar and pursuing stand-up, and I started hitting the San Diego scene, meet Billy Bonnell, meet all these other guys. We tried that one sketch group, unsuccessful. Billy and I started another sketch group. And then two years in, I just go, you know what? I'm not going to stay in San Diego. I'm just going to move to LA. Yeah, because what is in there in San Diego? There's like, a, I'm from San Diego, but like it's very boring. But am I missing something? There's a plethora of stage time. So like, if you do want to get good at stand-up, mechanically, you, you can. Like there's, You know who Zoltan Kazas is? No, I have no idea. He's an absolute crusher. He will be famous. He will be huge zoltan yes sounds like a. I mean he already is incredibly successful but he's he stayed in san diego he got his legs under him he got incredibly good at stand-up and now he's he's a road dog he travels a lot um he's got a special on youtube that he put out himself with over a million views oh my god so basically it's like hey find your own route correct that works for you okay for me i guess back to the answer your original question within those two years of doing stand-up in san diego is where i started to learn that i love sketch and okay. I, I guess I wanted to act, having never taken an acting class or done theater or anything like that. So 2011, I moved to LA, and I just tell all these guys in San Diego, <laughs> I was like, I'm going. Like, yeah. I'm just going to go. And I think that also comes from all the stuff that I learned from Bob. As much as like I resent him a little bit, I learned so much from him. Right. And yeah, he was just like, he, it was always just like, look, you want something, you go get it. And you, you put, put in the effort. It's not going to be easy. It's going to suck, but stick your head down and push forward. So I was like, yeah, all right, great. So I go to LA 
And within like few months of being in LA, my mom passed away. Oh my gosh. So I feel like that whole first year from 2011, 2012 was just me mourning the loss of my mom. Of course. I went back to Vegas for a little bit to like take care of all the stuff. The family. The family, hang out. And then um, when I got back to LA, I, you know, again, was just kind of like going through the motions. I feel like 2013 is where I really started to like... On the grind, it's yes. time. Yes. So you're... That's the thing, though. That, that's what I just don't understand. People come here and like your case, what the fuck does grinding mean? Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like where, yes. Like, where do you even start? Like, I'm new here and... I, I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, what open mic do I go to? Or how do I get an agent? Or like what? So what was your steps from 2013 till now to be like, okay, this is my path. This is who I'm emailing. This mm-hmm. is the parties that I'm going to or whatever. Maybe there's a secret black book that you suddenly have that you found on the floor. Yeah. Well, there's, but- a, there's a couple examples. So the comedy store in La Jolla in San Diego is obviously connected to the comedy store in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I knew a lot of both of these sets of employees. So that was like one set of very easy networking to do where you would just go to the comedy store and you kind of already knew a handful of faces because they knew you from the past. There's also uh, a website called the Comedy Bureau. The Comedy Bureau, yes. And he would post uh, like a nightly run of shows and mics. So that was another thing to like check and go, all right, great, I want to go there. And I started going to the east side. And I would meet the East Side comics. I joke around that I'm I'm an alternative bro. What does that mean? That I can I look and I appear like a to better? fall into the East Side, right? But I can perform in clubs. Oh, okay, okay, okay. In stand up, there's always this like de- de- like uh, this definition of like uh, alt versus club. Okay, I you know whatever. I don't know. If is it's it that like I'm, hipster versus? Yeah, correct. Okay. I don't know how important that is today, but like I used to joke around that I I could have one foot in both just because like aesthetically I'm alternative, but in my soul, uh, I'm, I'm a bro. It's like, okay, this person is actually pretty normal to do regular, not regular, but like stand up on stage in front right. of people instead of like the back door. Right. Okay. You're, oh, you're like a speakeasy individual, but instead you're a speakeasy individual who also can be sure. normally. Okay. I'm trying to figure sure. out, like, I'm trying to figure out <laughs> examples, you guys. <laughs> yeah. So, um, damn. So here's the biggest conduit to everything that happened to me in Los Angeles. It was the West Side Comedy Theater. Shout out to the West Side Comedy hey. Theater. I absolutely love them. Uh, Billy had a friend from the Navy who was like, hey, I know one of the owners of West Side. His name's Epic Lloyd. Epic Lloyd. From Rap Battles. He's incredibly successful. Uh, oh, he's the bald guy. Yes. Yes. So he hits him up on Facebook <laughs> and he's like, hey, come to the club and we'll get you a spot. And then I saw that they were advertising for interns. So I was like, okay, well, let's intern there. So I was interning there in 2013 and 2014 okay. on Friday nights. At this point, I'm working at uh, a company called Saban Brands. I miss them dearly. They were fantastic. This is also another like huge reason for my success in Los Angeles. I get this job shortly after my mom passes away. It was supposed to be a one-month temporary job. Right. And I stayed there for six years. <laughs> another six-year gig. Yeah. Both of my professional uh, jobs, yeah. I've stayed for six years. That's good. I have an incredible resume. Dude, you're loyal. Is that, that's what matters. I am incredibly loyal. Um, I think the, what's so really uh, so cool, and I always like mention this, is I feel like a lot of people in this world, and I, I can't believe I'm saying that in a weird of like a judgment thing. And yeah. I apologize, but a lot of people who are trying to make it, they go and they go. 
this is just too good for me. As in, like, mm-hmm. maybe I don't want to be right. an Uber driver or maybe I don't want to be a fucking intern. And oh. Listen, mm-hmm. here you are, 28, 29 years old, close to your 30s, and yeah. even then you're like, you know what? Fuck it. This is oh. my dream. I'm going to be an intern. I don't give a fuck if anybody judge me. But was yeah. there a lot of judgment somewhere? Because I mean, I, it's funny because, like, I remember people in the comedy scene being like, oh, I don't want to have a day job. I don't want to be seen as one of those comics with a day job. And now I would joke around and go, well, I want to... Go places. Yeah. And I want to be able to pay for a bar tab. I want to take a woman out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want, I don't, I never wanted to be, I never wanted to miss out on fun because I didn't have the income. And I figured, what's wrong with working eight hours a day? And you know, it's fun. I, I, I had so much fun at this job. I think it's, I, I mean, because you're Cuban and maybe this is like a stereotype, but I think immigrants, especially yes. if they have immigrant parents, that's kind of where that drive comes yeah. from. My dad worked two jobs so I can go to private school. So what am I am I going to complain cuz I have to work an 8-hour job so I can go to an open mic and talk about my dick? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like, the, like once I calibrate what he had done for me, it's like, well, working 8 hours a day is not going to be that bad. But yeah, so I started as a temp as an admin assistant. I was making 11.15 an hour. Dude, that's Dude, that's a lot of money. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like this if was, you spend it right, that could not only pay for rent but at least pay for you know, uh, food, yeah, groceries, yeah. But it was just so like one month turned into two, turned into six, turned into a year. And if at one point after a year, I remember the boss I had at that time. He was like, "Do you want a regular full time job here?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah sure, sure, I love one." And then they they gave it to me. And it, I'm sure as this story spiderwebs out, every time there was layoffs at the company, I would make the cut. And I would come home and tell my friends, I'd be like, they laid off like X percentage of the company, but I still have a job. And they're like, how? And yeah. I joke around. I'd like to say that, yes, I, I do work hard and I get my job done, but I think it's, I think it's personality before yeah. anything. I mean, looking at your entire career, well, the story so far is like, you're always meeting and networking with individuals, but it seems like when yeah. I first met you, you're just fucking being yourself. Yes, correct. It's I'm not, not, it's not even calculated. It's not even forced. You're just like, yeah. oh, this guy's a chill guy. I'll vibe with Very him. Very chill. You talk and then being bada boom, someone wants to, you know, do a sketch with you or something. Yeah. Um, so there you are. Okay. So Westside Comedy Theater, I'm working at Saban. Every Friday night, I go there and intern. One of the owners of Westside in 2014 put on a workshop for commercial agents. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. I've heard, you know, as you start to read about other people's careers, you you hear that that's one of the first ways to make income in, you know, getting up the ladder of acting and whatnot, even stand-ups. So I do this workshop and uh, I sign with this agent who <laughs> is now, he has fled the city because he was under investigation for stealing money from people. Oh, okay. I thought you were about to say like he's a pedophile or something. No, that would have been, you know, on brand for Hollywood. Oh, yes, exactly. Q-Anon. Yes, QAnon. So, um, Q on TikTok, if you're listening to this, this is, we're saying it out loud for the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Please, please. So I get this agent in 2014. I go on my very first ever audition in 2014. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I remember it was May. I didn't book anything. My first ever job that I booked was December of 2014. Okay. But I remember this like time period of like trying to figure, like, I was like, I could go on stage in front of 200 people, but I'd be nervous to like. Do be in front of a camera or something. Yeah, it was like just, you just like, I, it was like an open mic process all over again. And then I took this workshop with another one of the West Side owner's wife. Her name is Ann Casey. She's so funny. She's booked a ton of things. She's a successful writer. And in this workshop, she basically taught us like how to, how to improvise without being 
annoying. You know what I mean? Like, okay, it was like very. Explain this theory. How do you improvise without being annoying? Like, what is annoying when you improv and then? Well, yeah, like when you audition for a commercial, this. they sometimes pair you up with someone and they'll ask you to improvise. And I think an annoying thing to do would be to like overpower the other person, mm. not listen to their suggestions, um, say too much because you want to steal the scene. It was just like a way to like let it, to like let you know how to just be funny, but be subtle and be yourself. Okay. So it's like less is more type of yes. thing. Yes. And listen, like really paying attention to your partner. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Why did you move? Oh, I got to move yeah. So you play like in a, like in a way like a defensive role where yes. you're like reacting instead of yeah. being the aggressor. Yeah. Now she did also say like if someone else tries to barrel you over, then you got to use your powers. Right. But you're like a wave. Yes, exactly. <sighs> Kung Fu, Tai Chi. So in 2014, I booked my very first ever commercial and it was a, a very big commercial for Wells Fargo with Landon Donovan. No idea who Landon Donovan oh is. Oh my God. Professional soccer player. U.S. Oh, <laughs> yes. Landon Donovan. He also has like uh, two bald spots on the side. Mm-hmm, I don't know correct. why I care yeah. about hair so he much. He has been talking about balding this whole entire yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you mentioned um, Epic Rap Battles. Yeah. And then I remember he did a song about wow, him bald being bald. Wow, bald people are a lot in my life. Yes. Don't worry. You have yeah. a full set of hair, so Thank you're good. You. Yeah. Um, so I, it's funny because like out of all the commercials that I had auditioned up until that point, at that one I was like, I felt some sort of like... I really wanted to have that one. I played soccer my whole life. In Vegas, we have a um, a player that grew up there named Hercules Gomez. Who, Hercules Gomez? Yeah, pretty sick name. And he was on the U.S. national team. So I was like, God, I was, I was like, this, there's, there's like so many fun connections here. And I ended up booking that. And uh, that that is like, that's my first. Keep on talking, don't worry. Yeah, okay. That was like my first like push forward into, I guess, a, a career that I never really thought I'd have. Is it when you when you're doing commercials at the moment? What's the big difference between like commercials and let's say like stand up or let's say for example sketch? Is it kind of like the same thing? For that particular one, it was fun because the director was cool and he wanted us to play and, and improvise and he wanted it to be. There was like going to be uh, there was like a behind the scenes reel and there was a blooper reel, so we knew that there was going to be a lot of fun to be had. When when you're going about improv, I'm, I'm thinking about like whose line is it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But how do you when you look at a scene or when you're improv improvising, like mm-hmm. we did a sketch together and someone throws a suggestion and you're just like on top of yeah. it as fast as you can be, how the fuck do you become witty? Is there a way to practice that? Or is that just like something innate? Or is that something from exp- mm. like because I some think people there is. Want, yeah, what is what is your mindset? I had a friend who used to live with us, he's in England now, and he he only does improvised stand up. Okay. What he, the fuck? He just goes on stage and he just figures it out. He just, you know, he'll, he doesn't, ask, he doesn't ask for, he just goes on stage, he starts riffing and he just goes, it's like stream of consciousness. Okay. And what he would do is he would just devour, uh, data, just books, almanacs, encyclopedias, magazines. Like he, he was building all of the references in his head. And just the other day I was listening to a podcast and they were saying like, one of the biggest tools you can do as an actor is just read because mm-hmm. your job is to read and analyze. So I don't particularly like go to the mental gym per se, but I'd like to think that I'm, I'm always searching for a joke. Maybe that's, if we're really like psychologizing myself, I want to, I'm always looking for that moment where I can just snipe in, say something, get the group to laugh. Cause I, you know, I like to make people laugh. Is it, I think it's like game theory almost. Yeah. There's this game called like Among Us. Have you ever heard of no. it? So there's like ten individuals in a in a fucking spaceship, and they're all completing tasks. But out of the ten people, there's two imposters, and oh. they're trying to like kill each other. And then 
people vote to who you think the imposter is. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's trying to like outdo each other yeah. as in defending or making accusations. Yeah. So now I kind of look at game theory exactly kind of like in the comedy space. People yeah. are in a circle and you're always looking for a joke to get people to laugh, right? Yes. And so where does your mind go to like, A, am I trying to compete against those people in the circle? Or B, how do I say something as bait to get somebody oh. in? Like what like where where is the I, where is like your flow? That's a good question. I don't know. I wonder what my friends would say versus what I would think. I think my friends would say that I have a little bit of an inner troll. Okay. What so like mean? a friend misspeaks. I'm going to jump in and make fun of him for misspeaking. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I think if I were to, if I were to say what I do as I think is that I, I'll take a moment in a conversation where then I'll add on by saying something that is completely absurd, but I try to deliver it as true as truth. Okay. I have no idea what the fuck that means. Like if you, <laughs> like if we're all talking about QAnon or something all right? and uh, at, out of, at the end of the, whatever the discussion is, I would probably say something like, well, maybe you guys are unfamiliar, but Jack is actually a firm believer of QAnon. Jack, oh. and, like, <laughs> and then, you know, I would try to like really game it. Like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not kidding. Like he has this stuff on his phone. Like you should, you should like, I'll then push like uh, a fake. So you are a troll basically. I guess I am. But like, I don't know. I think I'm a lovable troll. No, no, you're a lovable troll. Because I only do it to people I love. I have never replied to a stranger. I've never replied to the president on Twitter. But I've how never do you replied know, to how, a brand. But how do you know, how do you know at that moment that it's okay to like, break someone's as I don't know if that's the right word, break someone's balls, but like mm-hmm. troll that individual. Because when I first met you, I was like, holy shit, this guy is trolling Morgan J a lot. <laughs> yes. And like <laughs> making all these comments. And I didn't know at that moment, like, okay, it's funny, but like who is this guy? Yeah, that's a good point. Right? And so how do you know? Because some people like I meet some people and they just fucking troll. And like listen, for me my my love language is affirmation. Yeah. So is mine. Yours? I just took the test. Hey yeah. and then what's your second one? Uh touch. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you? And then a- the third one is quality time. Yes. Wait, are, are you an ENFJ? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh fuck! It's a Myers Briggs. Like, do you consider yourself? Uh, like I've more- taken that, but I forgot. Are you like more extroverted? Do you think? Yeah. And a feeling person? Yes. Maybe we're the same. Hey, maybe. Hey, well, hello. Here we are. Uh, ENFJ. ENFJ. I'll take that one later today. Yeah. Or is it? E- oh no. Sorry, I'm an ENFP. ENFP. Yes. Yes, you should because I think you're in that. But yeah, I love realm. words of affirmation. I like to be reminded of. But where has, I stand within someone's, but of course, there's like a, I guess there's like a, maybe it's the Gemini in me. There's like a duality of like being like, I know my worth and I know who I am, but at the same time, please tell me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I don't know about it, but like you know, from coming from like an immigrant parent where they rarely said, I love you. Yes, or so I was did, proud of you. I, did you know, did you see that bit that I do? No, I don't. I do a bit where I was like, my dad never said, I love you growing up. Never. <laughs> but now because he's 78, yeah. he says it too much because he's, you know, he's going to die pretty soon. And it's weird though. Yes. Right. It's like when my mother comes in for a hug, I'm like, what the fuck are yeah. you doing? Yeah. And so because I think of the fact that like I never they never said I love you or never said I pr- I'm proud of you, it's like, why can't someone feel that they're proud of me? But yeah. I bet you are someone that goes out and affirms a lot of people. 100%. Right? Because we want to give love of something that we don't have. Mm-hmm. And so, but what type of affirmation person are you? Are you someone that's like, like you get a text like, I'm so inspired by you. It's like, okay, whatever. But if someone mention something that you did and then responds with a positive mm-hmm. thing that's like what what weight do you have i yes i do like i guess i don't know i guess i try to just think about it mostly in relationships i like when in a relationship they acknowledge i don't know their care for me their love for me or or uh, the, the time that we spent together i just i you like to know that someone's thinking about you 
Ah, that's you know I mean? so true. Like but in a positive way. Yes, I mean. yes. Like I'm thinking of you right now. Hey, thank you. You know, I was thinking about kind of uh, the wonderful things that you do, like with Grifter and the fact that you do two things. Oh, yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's like really cool how it's like, hey, I'm going to do sketch comedy, but at the same time at night, I'm also going to do stand-up. Yes. Right? Yes. And I'm also, again, like I'm very enamored of that even though you started in 2009 and here you are jumping from 2011 and then 2013, 2014, you're like, fuck it, I'm 29. I don't give a fuck what people yeah. think of me. No, never. Um, even if it all went to shit tomorrow, I have no problem clicking on whatever gig economy app to make money. Right. What, what the fuck do I care? You know what I mean? Like, but it's always like that goal of like, mm-hmm. even though I'm doing this one thing, I'm still going to take the time out of the day to make sure that my art speaks. Mm-hmm. But I know there's like these highs and lows in, yeah. in like everything. Yeah. But as, as, as 2014 to 2020 is, is like kind of like a progression upwards, would you yes. say? A hundred percent. But what is that still kind of like that low that you're thinking of? As you as you slowly progress more further into your career that you're either working on or like inside your soul mm-hmm. or something that you like, oh my God, hopefully I never have to be there. Yeah. So 2015 was a fucking huge year for me. I don't know what happened. I call it beginner's luck because I was just booking left and right. Oh, shit. So after that Wells Fargo commercial in 2015, I book a, a Hotwire commercial a Toyota commercial, a Bud Light commercial, a Wingstop commercial. And after after that run, I had to join the union because you become a must-hire after three union jobs, of which course. I was very excited. I'm, I'm a proud union member. And then my commercial agent offers me to rep me theatrically. Oh, shit. On my very first audition for the for ABC's The Muppets, I book it. ABC The Muppets? What do yeah. you do? Like... I was a I was a barista where my hands got more screen time than my face. This is okay. also like an example of Hollywood where you don't get your expectations too high. Right. So I booked my very first it's it's called a co-star. Mm-hmm. Like the the hierarchy of television is co-star is the very bottom, then there's guest star, then there's a recurring guest star, uh series regular, and then series lead. So I booked that and then I meet this other casting director named Julie Ashton mm-hmm. and she like just takes a liking to me in a way that I was like surprised, but also so happy. And I'll never forget this one moment. There was a moment where I, I didn't get this particular job, but in the room I auditioned for another co-star and she, afterwards she goes, we're going to find you something. Oh, and I was like, Oh my God. Right. So she did. She ended up booking me. She's booked me for a a couple things. And, but that, that year she started sending me uh, auditions for series regulars, which I was nowhere near qualified to do. From wow. from a an acting like hindsight being twenty twenty, holy shit, was I not ready to do any of that? But what I what I think she was doing, if I could speak for her, I think she was giving me the the at bats. She was like, "Well, let's have him come in the room and do them, so he can wipe all this rust off for future." That's so smart. I attribute her like if I, God willing, this career continues to to grow forward, I will always remember that that was like one of the first also pivotal moments for my acting career. It's like somebody that says, this guy has great personality. This guy is working really hard, and I'm going to watch over him. Yeah, I think so. You know, and I still see her to this day. Like, I saw her in January for some, some uh, a big opportunity, and then obviously COVID happened. But so 2015, all that, I'm working full-time. Right. And I have, like, four commercials playing. Jesus Christ. I pay off all of my debt. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, and I'm like, but then I'm like, I'm like living. Dude, I'm having so much fun. I, was, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. I would be at a bar, right. and it would be like 15 of us, and I'd be like, I would take care of like, the tab. Whoa. I'm, I'm like, this is probably not smart, 
But I like if I have a bunch of money, I want to fucking spend it on my friends. Yes, there's a, there's this like psychological quiz. Yes. It's that, also probably half me flexing, being like, check it out, right? But I'd like to think it's because I like to, I just like to have fun. So I'll be like, all right, round of shots on me, round of beers on me. And then 2016 was it 2016? I think I had like only two. two, two yeah. yeah, 2017, pfft, nothing, dude, bro. I, I think maybe I think I might have booked a co-star. But 2017 was was uh, nothing. And you're seeing your money slowly deplete for a second. Correct. And you're like, yes. fuck. Now I'm just back to relying on the day job, which right. was great. And then in 2018, and throughout this whole time, I'm doing stand-up, and I'm starting to like get opportunities to travel with bigger comedians. But I'm, I think I learned probably year seven or eight that I was like, I love stand-up. Right. And I think I'm good at it. From the respect, from like the the position that I can entertain a room, um, but where's the? Wh- but my passion, what I've learned, is the acting. Right, and do you think there's like a like a ceiling? Do you think with like stand up comedy versus like the acting part? No, because you can get huge with stand up, but then most stand ups always transition to television. But there's, if you just want to be a huge stand up, I guess there's not really a ceiling per but se. You, but there's but just you, one. You, you want to be an actor? Yes, I want to be an actor. So I am an actor. No, you are an actor. That's right. Look at your IMDb. So wait, 2018, yeah. and you're doing all of these things, but like, what what makes you go? Okay, it's time to kind of get involved with some fellowship or oh, so some oh yeah, program. so yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to make CBS the uh, the priority here. In 2015, 16, in 2015, I get an audition through friends. They refer me to the head of the program. Now the program at this time, which is this is pretty widely known. There was an article about this. It wasn't as, uh, it, it wasn't a great environment. What do you mean? The people who used to run the program were deemed to be a slightly offensive and slightly racist, even though it says CBS mm-hmm. diversity. Mm-hmm. And again, I love it now, but you can find this article about what it was like before. And so I, I auditioned in 2015. Don't get it. 2016. Don't get it. 2017. I, Callback, right? I, I have a callback. I don't get it. Oh shit! And I think there. I, no, actually, if I remember correctly, there might have been one year off of there. Two thousand eighteen, I call back, right? And at that time, it was the first year of the new of the new executive, the board. new regime. Okay. And I'll never forget uh, Dory, and I'm I can say this name. He's uh, yeah. he's one of the people in charge over there. I'll never forget in this particular edition. I just remember him saying stuff like. It's, he's like, I've seen you grow. And he complimented me in a way where I knew he had been watching and I knew I was close. Right. But I didn't get it. And then in 2019, uh, again, actually, this, uh, let's rewind a little bit. Yeah. In 2018, Saban Brands gets purchased by Hasbro. Okay. And we get a notice that we're all going to get laid off. We're going to get severance. I'm so, oh, that's good. Dude, right? I remember telling my roommates, I was like, I booked it. <laughs> They're like, what? I'm like, a layoff with severance. <laughs> that's always good. Dude, it was fucking awesome. Like, I, it, obviously, it's very sad for people who... who Lost all their jobs and have families. But sure, at your but moment, for me, like, it was I'm fantastic. I'm like living in like, this apartment. doesn't cost that much money. I'm getting Dude. money every single month. I have time to look and do what I want to do. Yes. And I remember telling, at that time, the girl I was dating, I go... I'm just going to use this as the opportunity to leap. Mm. Um, I took the money, obviously, and I went, this is going to be me never returning to a day job. Oh, shit. And I have not since then. I know it's only been two years, but... No, dude, I mean, this is perfect. This is like a sign that, again, like this is like a repetitious thing inside this like you know conversation that we're having. It's like, hey, 
people watch you yeah. and they're wondering to yourself, are you coming back? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you don't come back, it's like, okay, this person really didn't want it. Right. Because you're not going to go in and like fucking automatically get it with like a snap of a no. finger. People often forget, I think, where they think that, you know, overnight success is an overnight success. But yeah. in your reality, it's... God, no, it's been, you know, 10 plus years in the making. And then you know, one of the famous anecdotes of the CBS program is like Tiffany Haddish took several years to get it. Mm. I mean, Hassan Minhaj did it. Like, uh, there's huge names that have gone through this he program. He did too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. He, uh, Asif Ali. You, no. He did it too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out. I love that guy. And what? Yeah. Yeah. This is a good program. It's a great program. So 2018, I leave Saban, and October, I book a Toyota commercial. January, I book a Corona commercial. So my brain, I go, great. I'm financially set right. for at least one and a half years, Okay, if I'm not an idiot. And then summer, oh no, May of, oh, at this point, oh my God, we need to, again. Go ahead. I, this is the lovely part of this I think podcast. It, in 2018, the, the agent that I was with ends up being called out for stealing money from people. Yes. Lots of money from people. Never happened to me. Thank God. But I started getting messages from friends being like, does this guy never pay you? And again, this was during the year that I wasn't making a lot. Right. Remember, I hadn't booked. So serendipitously, I didn't book during the year he started to steal from people. And he then sends this email out saying like, I've been going through some issues. If you, if you feel these are too strong of issues to stay here, please take this opportunity to leave. And I went, see you later. Yeah, see you later. Don't steal money from me. Thank you. Goodbye. And so at this point, I find... Oh, and then about a month... About a month after that, the manager I was quasi with right. drops me. Oh shit! So I'm. It's the beginning of the summer of 2019. I have no agent. You have no agents. You have, have no, no manager. manager. So I reach out to Morgan J, Great among comedian. other people, and I said, "Will you please refer me to your commercial agent? I have a plethora of experience. I think I have a. Here's my portfolio. Here's what I look like. Here's everything that I've had. It was Morgan J, Chris Gorbos, Joey Greer." And probably one person, oh, and my friend Andrew Hader, who all referred me to their agents. And I got a meeting with all three. I met with KMR first. That's what I'm with now, KMR. And I absolutely love them. And I canceled the rest of the meetings because I wanted KMR. Boom. So I chose KMR. And then I booked a commercial in October of 2018, English and Spanish. So it's two spots. Right. January, I booked another commercial. And these, all these fucking, okay, hold on. How the fuck, dude? Do you book commercials? Like, what is the secret? Dude, like, um, so is it a look? Is it something that you have? What the hell I do mean, you do? I took, I took another class in 2018 just to, like, recalibrate my, like, I don't know, my settings, I guess. And I'll never forget what she said to me, too. I had told her, like, where I was at currently. Yeah. And she goes, you're either trying too hard or you're not trying hard enough. Oh, what does that even mean? Sometimes <laughs> you go into the room and you're just like you're like you're like trying to like do too much and like be in their face, and then sometimes you just you like you probably don't you don't care too much. Okay, but she then she did run you through a lot of exercises that. Excuse me, is there a burp uh, hold no, button? Don't worry, don't worry. I'll, I'll if you want me to edit she, those things. She would run you through these exercises that kind of just reminded you of like, all right, who are you really in this commercial? Okay, are you the hero? Are you you know the just the person that delivers one word? Like really, just know who you are. And just do that. You don't got to do more. And yes, look is important. Like, you know, I, I stick with the mustache and the way that I look for a right. reason. I have no problem shaving it. But I don't, I always say to my friends, I truly do think that some, I truly do think that some of the best talented people book them. But at the same time, it is also kind of a numbers game. Okay. But if you do look at all the spots on television that are like 
like some of the higher brow spots, like Geico, Progressive, Snickers, Snapple, those are like UCB performers, like the creme de la creme. So like for, there's this air in Los Angeles, they were like, oh, it's just commercial and, you know, commercial acting. And I agree, like, I get it. It seems to be much more of like an income as an right. art, but I always tell people, I go, but you know who's booking them? Is some of the most talented artsy motherfuckers that you know. Right. So it is, it's just funny that there's that, that, that I mean, dichotomy at, that lives there. There's a, like Brian Craston was in a yes, lot of commercials. Exactly. Paul Aaron, Rudd. Aaron Paul. Yes. Um, who's that guy that was in office again? Who's plays Michael? I can't believe I don't know his name right now in my head. Oh, Steve, Steve Carell. Yes. He yes. was a commercial actor for several years yeah. before he even booked something at like the age of 38. Yes, I know. So, so, so I, I always tell people like, look, man, being the son of two immigrants. Right. And to make an, a living by working two to three days a year. That's amazing. It's amazing. I feel guilty. I feel so ba- guilty that my parents slaved and I can... Uh, live a life now is it obviously you do want career growth so and you do want more yes but so here's the thing with those commercials like with the with i mean i kind of want to dive into this like whole like theoretical part of it because that's like the game theory mm-hmm. or like the nerd that i am so I, I was watching this thing a long time ago where brendan fajero was on like true hollywood story and mm-hmm. he was having a conversation with matt damon in one of the movies and matt damon goes acting is kind of like just bringing it down dude it's like this is the thing that i keep hearing right now right Yes. And so is that like, how do you, what does, it, what does that mean to you? And how do you kind of put that together when they go, all right, here's the script, here's the lines, go. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a problem that I like to go a little bit silly. Mm. And right now, the biggest note that you'll hear is just be grounded and play it straight, be subtle, which I do think that I have like a deadpan dry delivery. But I have more fun when it's like, you know, I'll, you know, I get to be like a fucking idiot. Right. But I'm getting, I'm getting, getting better at that. So what I think what I, what I have learned now is to come in there at a more natural sniper state. Is it, is it, when you mean like natural sniper state, are you thinking like, I'm just playing myself? Yeah. I'm going to be myself and I'm going to deliver one tag instead of like, like a line. What that is I, that? Like a, like a, like, what do you mean like a line? Like your own line? A hundred percent. They tell you not to improvise. I do it every single time. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but hey, you're booking get, yeah. because of it. I've gotten in trouble. Uh, the last theatrical thing that I booked was uh, a little part on The Neighborhood. Right. In the audition, I improvised. And she goes, don't do that. Oh, shit. And I went, oh, I'm sorry. And she was like, you know, she, she wasn't mean by any means. She just goes, don't do that. She's like, for multicam, um, you should just stick to being word perfect. If it was single cam, uh, you, you, sh- you would have been fine improvising. Now, I've heard that many people have many different rules. God only knows what. Me, I'm going to take a fucking extra word. <laughs> right. I'm going to take a swing in that first take just to let them know this is how my brain works. Worst case scenario, they go, great, do it again. Don't be an idiot. I'll do it again. And I'll be professional. And then they have two, two takes. What I love is that you're always playing yourself, do you think? I do think that, yeah. Is that it's a, a heightened version of myself. Is that like the key component? Because a lot of actors you know, think of like method acting, like Joaquin Phoenix and shit. But yeah. I mean, if it's a commercial, then... Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never... At this point in my career, I haven't been given material that I have to like really dive in and find who this character is. I've just been given small parts where I go, this is how I think this is funny, and this is how I'm going to play that. You know what I think, by the way, to come to think of it? I think the reason why deadpan humor or like dry, mainly like we're in this like like uh, generation of like dry humor, I feel. Mm-hmm. Like 
I don't think, okay, this, this might be like a weird debate, but I don't think that we'll ever see like another Robin Williams or Jim Carrey again. And I, I don't know what it is, but if you look mm-hmm. at, for example, like TikTok and yeah. whatever, what everybody finds like really, really funny, it's always very, very dry or dry absurd. Wow. Yeah. Right. Have you noticed that? Like if it's like, an, it's like I have this one friend, like he does like anime, um, uh, anime jokes mm-hmm. and they're outlandish, but they're still yeah. dry. You know, yeah. they do the whole like they do something and then they look at the camera and then it gets dark and it zooms up. Yeah, right. Or they're or if it's like a YouTuber, they have like the fast cuts and then they they zoom in a little mm-hmm. bit. But it's like always dry. And yeah, I look at it. I'm like, oh my god, I love this person. Yeah, because it's all personality. But I don't. It's not like one of those laugh out loud moments. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, comedy in general. Dak Shepard has talked about this. Like, if you look at like you know like the the Judd Apatow days, and then like the Wedding Crasher days, those comedies are gone. Yeah, and will they ever return? Probably not, because the humor has completely changed. Yeah, I, is it because we're in the age of the internet where people judge you right away? Like, if Jim Carrey was doing his thing now, people oh would be God. like, "You're so fucking weird." You're Here's so the annoying. Hate comments. Mm-hmm. Our society is always saying, "Hey, hmm. be yourself, but don't do it this way." I think what has happened, and this is my uneducated thesis from all the internet things that I've read, the the universal fandom is gone. It's now very pinpointed. It's very like niche. We have these small tribes as opposed to bigger tribes. So like, yeah, I think Jim Carrey still would be successful, but it would be like a very unique set of people that like his, if he, if like the way he came up then now, you know what I mean? Obviously right. he's fucking fantastic. And oh hilarious. my God, he's amazing. Yeah. But like, yeah, now, and now that's all you really tr- truly need. Like, you know, like when you look, I guess like two years ago, two years ago, a variety named like top 10 comics to watch. And one of them was this like Facebook video guy that like oh. for our, in our world, we were like, who's this guy? Who's Trevor Wall? No, it wasn't him. It was, uh, I forget this guy's name, but the point I'm making is that like this guy, <laughs> he's probably a multimillionaire. Right. Of course. Has a major career. We don't know who he is. And I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, so, I mean, dude, I think commercial success won't, won't be like a big bonkers kooky uh, digital personality. personality. I miss that. Yeah. I mean, I miss, I miss like a Robin Williams, yeah. you know, someone that has, is, is a savant, but also crazy like out be... there. It was every, I mean, yes, everyone has their little small tribes, but dude, at the same time, everything is so dry. There's to me, yeah. I don't know about you, but there's like three types of comedy out here. Mm-hmm. One, uh, people that make fun of others, mm-hmm. like those commentary videos that, Oh, this guy's a X, Y, Z roasting and so right. Like that. Self-deprecating humor, of course, or three, like the not I'm laughing really loud, but like, Oh, I'm awkward type yeah, of humor. Yeah, Does yeah. that make sense? Like, yes. Ooh, I'm, I'm so awkward and cute. Yeah. I mean, that's what I play with when it comes like flirting with girls, of course, <laughs> but I mean like in the, in the set of, of, uh, comedy. Yeah. And is that, with your story-esque, you know, mindset, is that something that you want to transition to when you come to, like, your humor? Because your humor is very, like, looking at your sketches, looking mm-hmm. at your, your stand-up, is not really awkward, cutesy. It's not really, unless you're with your friends, like, making fun. Yeah. So, where is, like, where is Greg at this moment? Hmm. I mean, I think the sketches kind of identify how... I'm a little bit of an idiot, but yeah, I have never, I, I don't do anything like crazy over the top bonkers. Yeah. I think now the story has to be 
the story has to be crazy and you have to be grounded. I think is what a lot of is what's happening right now. Is that what you learned from like the USB diversity showcase or like uh, what is CBS? Come sorry, on, God Jesus damn it. Christ. Did I say, what did I say? UCB, which is a Oh my God, school. sorry, sorry. Yeah, I got all confused. Um, so yeah, so back to that. Actually, no, with that I learned, well, I learned two things there performance wise, but like back to that, the lineage of that story. Um, I, I get that commercial agent and then I auditioned for CBS in the summer of 2019. Right. And then you get the callback then I get the third callback and then they tell us that we got it. Oh and shit. I, and I had remembered that his, pretty much a lot of the people after performing get approached by representation. So at that point I was like, I don't care about a manager. I won't need one. Because you um, already have one. No, at this point, I just had a commercial agent. So why don't you need a manager, do you think? At that point, I was waiting to do the showcase. Oh. So, so people would be, quote unquote, excited about me. As gross as that sounds. Um, I'm excited about you. you and I'm trying to remember, how did I book the things that I booked while I was with? CBS Showcase. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. So during... Oh, oh. yes, here's another aspect. Yes. I was... So while I'm at CBS, I'm kind of hip pocketed by this manager hip pocket means we'll rep you but not really we're just trying you out okay so it's, it's kind it's of like, like a, uh, an open relationship yeah, you're not on our roster but if i see an opportunity i'll send it to you okay and while i'm doing the showcase i book two more co-stars one was on american housewife one was on a show called the baxters which is yet to be released oh i'm excited about that um it's like an m no it's gonna be very interesting it's actually produced by the management company that i'm with now okay and so again, I'm having like another pretty good run that, that year. I, I had booked a commercial in January. January, okay. I had booked a commercial in August. Right. You ha- you're doing the CBS showcase. Then diversity. I get CBS. Is then, that like a, is that a 30 day thing? What is it? What is that? It was bros from September to January. Jesus Christ. Yes. And it's like what? Four or five times a week? Uh, three times a week. Yes. And you're just acting and writing so and acting I attribute, and writing. Yes. I attribute this time. It's the, probably the funnest and most um, arduous, yes, like in training that I've ever had. And I told them, I'll tell an even more, uh, of course. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a thoughtful story, but like the timing all started to work out, right? Like I couldn't have done that with a full-time job. No, you could not. And I couldn't have afforded to do it without the leap that I had from that severance and then those commercials that I booked. You know what I mean? Like everything fit that I could focus all of my attention on, on this, the showcase. It's like a serendipitous plus opportunity plus preparation of yes. all the experiences that you've had in the past. Yes. You are an outcome of all the little changes and all the little things that you've done in the past till now. Mm-hmm. So I get this thing. It's 20 of us. And it's you meet Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, you pitch ideas. You get X amount of ideas greenlit. You have to have them written by Tuesday evening. You put them into this uh, database. Wednesday... You read all these sketches at a table read. So they're kind of like training you to understand what a network table read would be like. Wednesday night, you then get notes on which ones will make the cut and which ones need to be uh, rewritten, edited, punched up. Are you rooting to make sure that yours doesn't get cut? Like if it gets cut, you get like knocked off points or something? I mean, at first I pretty... I would say that I'm just not that strong of a writer. I'm, I'm a way stronger performer. Right. So I'm more rooting that what people have pitched for me makes it. 
Oh, so you're pitching not only stuff for yourself, but also for your for yes. your teammates. Yes, and then there's also like a 10-person writing staff. Oh, fuck. That's so dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And These are like and the most former, creative individuals ever. Yes. They're former CBS alumni. They have, they're people who have tested for SNL, who are regular uh, um, performers on sitcoms. Uh, staff writers, like they're they're also creme de la creme. Oh, and so they're always like watching you every mm-hmm. single. Oh my god! Yeah, they saw all of our auditions. They know what our our powers were. So, so we're doing that from late September, and then in January you do you meet every single day until right. showtime. Keep on talking, don't worry. And then in the show you do two shows per night for three days, so you do six shows. Right? Was it two? Yeah, it was two per night. Two per I, day. What do you mean by shows? Like, are you performing in front of people or like yes. executives or like what? Oh, I, oh, so I forgot. So, oh, so you said the the process also is on on Friday. You then act out the sketches that made the cut. Okay. So let's say Monday you started with a hundred. Wednesday we probably got down to like ten. Mm, Twenty five. Okay. Friday we probably had five to seven. Okay, five to seven sketches that you're now performing on Friday. Yes. Okay. And they would really drill it into you. They're like, you better fucking bring it. You better so, perform these. Don't be, you know, half-assing it. You should be off book. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have to be. So Thursday and, is like you're practicing with everybody. Yes. Also, I'm getting fucked up every night. Why? Oh, my God. Because I, I, like I like to party. And one of my friends who I, I met, I, like, I, my, basically my lifelong, I called her my work wife. Right. I love her to death, Lori. Um. In October, I was doing Sobertober, and she's, one day she just looked at me, and she goes, we're going to be better friends when you drink. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? And so then you, dude, she was so right. right What's that? You still, are you a drinkaholic? I mean, yeah, I like to have fun. I'm no, not, I, I, didn't say, I didn't say alcoholic. Yeah, I'm a drinkaholic. drinkaholic. Yeah. But she was right. So then, like, you know, also, it's like, I love the romance of, like, we just spent three hours in this basement. Let's go to this local bar and right. then tell more stories. We'd go to the residuals in Studio City. Let's practice a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So... On Fridays, you would then perform these sketches and executives would come by. Oh, that is so fucking dope. And you might not know who's in the room and what job they hold or what power they have. But the way I saw it, and this goes back to what I learned from Bob, I was like, I'm going to put my best foot forward every moment I can. Okay. If I'm in a sketch on Friday, I'm going to go balls to the wall. If I'm, and in addition to that, I think this is also what, what Greg does, um, they would provide us like snacks and food and shit. Oh, that's delicious. And I would... I would stay, if I saw that there was shit on the table, I'll fucking clear it. You know what I mean? Like I was, I I felt like I was trying to be a good student of the privilege that we had. What do you mean like clear it? Oh, you would eat everything. No, I'd clean it. You know what I mean? Like if people left their trash behind, I would clean it. Oh, so you're doing like extra steps of things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like an immigrant thing. Correct. I do think that. So anyway, so we do that from um, September to December. By December, we're then we now have this master list of approved sketches. It was about sixty-five sketches. In January, we whittled those down to twenty-four, and then the show ended up being twenty-three sketches. The show was six sold-out shows, right. five hundred seat theater, where we perform these sketches on stage to a sold-out audience. A sold-out audience? Mm-hmm. Is this a very popular thing? Dude. I guess it is. We had six sold-out shows, 3,000 people. It's 500-seat theater. Jesus. Yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> the first few nights, you're just friends and family. They send it out to all the agents and managers oh. and their assistants and their friends. And it's just like everyone who wants to be like, this is LA. Like, There's got to be 100 people who know about the program. So there's right. 100 right there. They tell all their friends. And you want to make sure, and all the executives want to see if there's new talent that they can yep. book. 
Oh, it's kind of like an investment for for the CBS Diversity Showcase. It's like, hey, we're picking these 20 people because if they get chosen, hopefully these guys do CBS shows. Yes, correct. Okay, I get, I get the path. Yes. I get the path. It's their way of being like, look, we found this talent and we uh, invested in this talent and here they are now. Dude, does everyone... And I see, because like I follow most of the executive staff on, on uh, Instagram, they'll share. They'll be like, this, like the, he, he just shared this one guy who just got a job as a lead of a show, and he did the 2016 one. It was 2016 or 2018. But it was just cool to see, like, oh, yeah, this guy went to this program. Right. He got wrapped. He probably started doing a bunch of auditions, and now he's a series regular. Do some people don't, like in your class, do some people just like drop out, or they just don't get represented, or they get lectured, like, we... we you auditioned, you got this, and you're not putting your full for uh, full like foot forward. No one in my um, year, no, and I don't think I've. Man, I guess I have heard. Sometimes people leave because they get. I had heard that previously there was a uh, a gentleman who just booked something that he couldn't do both. He was like, "Sorry," and right. it was the right choice, but not in our year. But one of the things I was going to say um, about the uh, what was it? Oh yeah, yeah. Throughout the process, you pretty much know because there's 20 of you and there's about 20 sketches, 20 give or take, you get one sketch where you're mainly featured. Oh, that's that's nice. Like where it's just like, this is your this sketch. This is Greg. Yes. And I had my cop character. Wait, what was the sketch? Let's, let's, so it's a cop. And my, then... ske- my character is it's a cop who likes to be filmed. Okay. So in this air of like so many cops shoving your camera and right. breaking it, this guy's like, He's like excited okay. and he's like doing, ta- it's like very Hollywood. He's like, can, can I do another take? Oh, okay. Can I do a little uh, dance for yeah, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you feel jump- about ad living? Are you cool with that? <laughs> um, and then this other guy wrote a character for me about a coach. And then <gasps> I can see you with a fucking whistle. Yeah. Oh my God. And then with that mustache, this other guy wrote this fucking hilarious dark sketch where I'm at a cemetery mm. mourning the loss of my son oh. and it gets interrupted by a scavenger hunt. <laughs> and that is the one that they ended up picking for me, and I had to cry. So how did you get? Did you how did you, did you think of something, or it was just dude? So on rehearsal day, I just kind of just got myself emotional, and then I kind of just got like you know I just kind of like rubbed my eyes. I didn't fully cry on rehearsal day, but you know I, I think right. I, I went there emotionally. And then once I knew that I was going to have to do this for you know a thousand five thousand people, yeah. I put a picture of my mom under my prop. Oh my god, my heart hurts right yeah, now. Yeah, holy and it's a, shit! It's like a baby. It's like she's holding me as a baby. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> and what I would do is I would like run myself through an exercise before every time, and they would always see me. I would go outside, I would do push-ups to get my heart rate up. I would look at the photo of my mom, and I had like gone through all the memories. Yeah, and I was like telling, I was telling Lori, I was like, what's really going to get me there is that I'm going to feel that I let her down. You know what I mean? Like, oh wow. Uh, so that's what I, I would think about and it would get me, it would get me pretty damn close. And then I would hit myself with some menthol right. to push it to the other side. Right. And then that's it. Do you think you disappointed her in some sort of way? Like right I now? I mean, I do feel if I, I mean, look, I was young and she needed a lot from a distance and I wasn't able to provide it. So I do feel guilty that I wasn't at the age or established career to be able to give her more. When when you think of her now, then like what what is your thought? I mean, yeah, I miss her, and she was hilarious. I definitely think if it's someone that I I get my humor from her, right? And it must be from her side of the family because it's she has a nephew. He's my cousin. He also passed away. We were like 
so similar and he was fucking hilarious. Right. And then my, her sister's husband, who's not by blood, he was fucking hilarious. So I guess it's not by blood, but I attribute it to their father who I never met. Right. Cause he passed away before I was even born. But yeah, I mean, I think when I think about her now, I think about her positively and I hope that she's happy with all. It's funny. Cause like she never got to see any of it, you know, like. As she just she as an immigrant mother, she was like, "What the fuck are you doing? You're gonna stop working for Bob to be a comedian? Are you a fucking idiot?" <laughs> and it's like now, I hope she can see that. Hey, it worked out. Huh? I mean, she's looking up at you right now, and she's yeah. like, "I'm kind of." Pr- has she ever said, "I'm proud of you" before she passed, or have you like have you ever felt her? It's while interesting. You're like performing. Oh yes, I mean, I th- yeah, I think she never would. There's not. I mean, she was said she was proud of me before she passed. But because she never saw me, she did see me do stand up maybe once or twice because it was within that two year period. But like her style of immigrant parenting wouldn't be to be like, I'm happy you're pursuing your dreams. <laughs> yeah. My dad is like that now, big time. Well, he's 78 and he wants to say, yes. I love you a lot. Yes. Um, people always talk about when they're talking about kind of, um, you know, athletes do this, some actors do this sometimes. Um, uh, but a lot of people say that they do this where there's always like a moment in their career mm-hmm. where that one special person, like you just feel them flow through you as they're performing. Yeah. And so to like, sort of like win. Yeah. And it was that at that moment when you were doing that sketch? With- yeah, for sure. I would definitely, I'd feel that I was talking to her cause I, and I had to be, I had to play those scenes, the, my portions of the scene, super real. And it was me and this is why I think it was so, again, serendipitous. Right. I have always joked around that I'm like a professional funeral goer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. At 18, my godfather passed away, who was like my, essentially, the, the, one of the, probably one of the favorite, most favorite people in my life. Then when I'm 19, my, uh, my cousin Mike passes away, right. who is, again, very similar to I am. When I'm like 23, my aunt passes away, who was, again, the other, like, huge beacon of my life. And then when I'm 28, my mom passed away. Within that, there's these other Cubans that pass away. So I'm like, I'm going to all these funerals, all these fucking funerals. So when I get, when I find out that I'm going to be featured in a sketch where I have to be mourning, I'm like, this is like, but if you're going, this through is all, my thing. But if you're going through all those funerals, do you ever get like numb? Of course. Yeah. So then how do you go from, oh, but of course, when it comes to your mother, well, yeah, you're not mother, numb, you obviously. Yeah. And then, God, I hope she doesn't see this. My cousin... I was about to say, I thought you were, like, I thought you were mentioning your mom. No, no, I didn't say this. My cousin has a daughter who I, I love, I love all of the, 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 all of her kids, but there is one that I'm very connected to. And I, <laughs> this is going to be so crazy. I would think about stuff happening to her and that oh would fucking God. really get me there. I feel that right yeah. now. Yeah. So it's the, like, the, back, back to it being very serendipitous. We did all these shows at the end of January. And when the shows closed and um, they, I don't even know how, I guess this is somewhat public information. Yeah. I could decide later if we have to bleep it or not. Yeah, of course. But when they offered me um, a talent holding deal, it was the weekend of my mom's birthday. Wow. Yeah. So everything. I'm getting goosebumps. Right? And I had sent them, so I, I sent them this very nice message in March being like, I just want you guys to know like how all this has culminated. And I hope this isn't oversharing, but I told them, I was like, if you truly think about timing being everything, and as a Latin guy, like I am, I do think about the universe and spirituality. Uh, it all happened in such a fucking beautiful way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like from the sketch that I got chosen, from the timing that it happened, to the amount of attention I could provide to it, to the people that I specifically met, and to the reward that I was given, all centered around 
My mom. Your mom is everything. Yeah. Uh, if you could say something, if, if she was alive right now, you would say, mm-hmm. and uh, you could say something to her, what would kind of that thing be, do you think? Oh, man. Like if she suddenly was like here and she's like, hey, and you have, you have like a good solid, you know, five to an hour just to talk with her. Yeah. What, what, would, what would you like t- tell her and, and what would the type of conversation you would wish you would have with her? I think I would tell her that I think I would apologize first, whether it's warranted or not. For what? I just feel like I could have done more for her, you know? Yeah. I would do that. And then I would, I would want her to know that everything wasn't as bad as she perceived it to be. She and they, this is similar to ethnic parents. It was always something. Hmm. Something was always going wrong. Uh, how, you know, because my parents had gotten divorced in my early 20s. Right. Just like these things that she would belabor over that weren't really there. I think I would tell her to meditate. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to give my mom headspace. Is that what you um, have? I do. I use headspace. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I think, and then we, that we could just chill that we, she can, you know, that we can have that sort of relationship that you wish, not you wish, but that you could have more of back right. in the day. I do. I wish we could have had more of an adult uh, understanding of each other. Wow. I that's mean, what I, that's what I think that I mostly am bummed out about. Is it because obviously I'm missing my mother? <laughs> of course. I mean, what I've realized now, especially as I get better at my career, yeah. It seems that, you know, as an immigrant parent, my mother, it, our relationship has gotten better, I think because my insecurity of who I am yeah. is slowly like yes, depleting. Of and do you think that that lack of like as your in own insecurities like depleting, yeah. which is really good because your career is rising. Yeah. Is is that something now where you can at least give back to your father a little bit more and have like a more oh, adult yeah. conversation? We with? talk all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, we were we were always close, but now like I call him like three times a week and we discuss everything. Like I'm I'm I can talk to him about anything. And I do we'll, we'll talk about my mom. We'll talk about he's I've learned more about my parents in the last two to three years than I did probably my whole life. It's so crazy how immigrant parents work out. Where Dude, and they, it's funny because they're, they're always, they want to protect you so badly that they don't want to share these like stories of plight. So yeah. you kind of just know like the overarching story. Okay, they fled Cuba and they started a life in America. But there's these little nuanced things. Yes. It's like, oh my God, my father did do drugs too. Yes. Or he he uh, he did work five jobs and I didn't mm-hmm. even know. Or yeah. he did feel like some sort of like resentment yeah. and things like that. And even my cousin's learning things about like her grandparents who are like very very Cuban. It's like we're all we're all learning more and more as we get older, and hopefully we can change that for the younger kids. I try to be as bluntly honest with these kids as possible. Yeah, I, you know, reward them when they need to be rewarded, and talk to when they're doing something that's a little yeah. like off putting. Yeah. And Even I, if they don't get it. But sometimes, like, my, my godson is 11. Right. And sometimes, you know, politics will come up, and I'd be like, listen, I'm going to treat you like an adult. Right. You might not understand all this information, but I'm going to tell you this information. Yeah, and it's really good that you do that, plus on the same side that you do the affirmation part. Yes. Because, yes. like, that's something that mm-hmm. I wish, you know, immigrant parents would do, and we would open up to. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, as we, like, get, you know, now that this is all happening, and, you know, yeah. things are slowly, like, increasing... You know, I know that your time ticking clock of your journey so far is like 12 years. It says different from some people that have done it for 13, 20, sometimes five, four. Yeah. Be honest with me. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have two things? Ever, ever ego? And also, is there ever points where 
sort of like you get jealous and and if you have any of those two things do arrive like how do you deal with oh my god i'm human of course and then this this fucking all these apps are designed to make you feel that way right so yeah of course i think i'd like to think that i'm that i have become zen enough not as zen as i can be that i'm patient and i know that what will happen will happen you know what I mean? I know that's just a bunch of jargon that I just right. said. But I, when I talk to my dad, my dad's always just like, he's like, and he's like, I'm proud of you. Keep at it. And he's like, and uh, he's like, I, he's like, uh, you know, just keep sticking. And I, and I always go, you know, Ed, you're right. I, it, it will happen. It's just, it's just going to happen. But yeah, of course, you'll be scrolling through and you're like, this motherfucker got that thing. And why can't I be doing that? And I want more. But once I truly sit down and calibrate where I'm currently at and how much work I've put in and what my life is like right now. Being present with yourself It's is fucking so awesome. How do you, you know what I mean? That's like some question that I've been like <clears throat> thinking about a lot, which is what does it mean to love yourself? Yeah. And, and that's like a fucking question that I love so much. So yeah. like, what does it mean to love yourself? I mean, I think it's being comfortable in your own skin, confident in your abilities, and also being aware that your mind is an uncontrollable thing that will feed you a lot of negative thoughts. Right. And that's okay. I've really pushed into meditation and I, I'd have to give credit to Morgan J yeah. and one of my exes in 2018 who told you to meditate. Yes. God, a lot of people have been telling me I've been journaling a it lot is. now and that's helped. But I, I, some people will say they have like an accountability thing where they sit in zoom and everyone just meditates. Dude, it's, it's, it's amazing. Once you can really quantify what issues you're currently having and understand that it's probably just a mechanism from your brain and that you truly are in control of this current moment, you sh- you shouldn't have too much of a reason to be angry. Hmm. You really don't. I mean, you can. You can express these emotions, but like, this, I listen to Sam Harris a lot. Oh, Sam Harris. Yes, of course. He has. Uh, I'm. A, I'm a, I like pay. I pay him a, month, a monthly fee so I can have access to his subscriber content. Oh yes. Okay. It's pay what you want, which is cool. And he has this gratitude. Uh, he calls them theories. They're like short little recordings. Right. It's three and a half minutes, and it's about gratitude. And every time I listen to it, I'm like, fuck. You're right. You're so right. Like what is one thing? One of the think? anecdotes that I always remember is he goes, there's probably two to three billion people on this planet mm-hmm. that would trade places with you like that. Wow. Two to three billion, billion people. people. And then I have this mantra that I've been working with. I actually just uh, told it to a, a lady. Uh, I say, and this is going to be, the God, I don't know if this is going to be inappropriate. No. Okay. I just say, I go, they're unfortunately, not because of... Me. Right. And unfortunately, there's probably a child in some sort of war-torn country that snorted gunpowder today and went to war and chopped off someone's hand. Right. And then I'm supposed to go, but I didn't get <laughs> I didn't get this TV job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. That's crazy. I have health, I have income. I'm trying to better myself. Like, well, what, what, what more can more I fucking ask for? Yeah. Obviously, I do want more. I'm human. Right, of course. You want I mean you're you're someone that has goals yeah. and someone that, I mean, like Hamilton says, he's never really satisfied yeah. because he wants to do more. Yeah. But I think what meditation or what you're doing. It makes doing, you chill. Plus, I, my dad used to always say that I was already a like naturally like chill baby. Right. And even previous to meditation, I would argue that sometimes people have told me that, I, that I'm hard to read or I don't mm-hmm. emote. I think I'm now I'm much more expressive. You're more vulnerable maybe right, right now. Right. But I think I attribute it to is I, I've just kind of always just been like, laid back and I trust the process. I trust that 
I just, for some, I'm, maybe I'm too optimistic. I just trust that it's all going to work out. The thing that, and if not, I'll kill myself. No, don't kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I joke around with that sometimes yeah, because yeah. of my background. Yeah. And people are like, whoa. And yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, I can't can make jokes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it depends on the crowd. Like, oh, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, John. I'm like, oh, don't worry. It's not as bad as when my father choked me. Yeah. And I laugh. <laughs> and then they don't. And I'm like, oh, fuck. That's so, but yeah. you know, just. Uh, don't kill yourself. No, but, no. but how do you like? I, we're ending soon, but like, yeah. I think I think with that, right? How the like? How do you balance that, right? So, like, I'm saying, like, you're chill, but how do you make sure that you're not so chill where you don't continue mm. forward? Because that's a good point. You still need that edge. Yes, you know to go. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's just being competitive and and those goals. Like I look at you know I look at the goals that I've set out for myself and I go, all right, are we are we pushing towards that or do we or we we too lazy and i think in covid you shouldn't be too hard on yourself so i haven't been right you gotta survive yeah you gotta survive and a lot of things are on hold and and everything with auditioning now is through fucking zoom correct or uh through um self-taping yes and which is a whole another ball game i'm I'm, I'm having a lot of difficulty yeah i hated it and now i feel like i'm starting to click and then this month i signed up for a class that is specifically for self-tapes and she's going to give us a weekly assignment. I'll have to do it. She's going to critique it. Oh, can it's you give Erica, that to me? Yeah, it's Erica Bream. Erica Bream, okay. Yeah. And yeah. a friend of mine told me about it. And the little nuggets he told me that he learned was already enough for me to go, I'm going to do this. So I think it's stuff like that. Like, And again, when it comes to a question of like ego, you some people might be like, well, I'm, I don't want to take a, a class. No, you have to. It's like, well, I, what, what else am I doing? <laughs> right. You have to continue I'm exercising learning. and drinking. You have to continue learning. I learned yes. so much this year because... I took a lot of my paychecks and instead of spending it on like food, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to use this to like have one-on-one conversations with people to teach me yeah. something that I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The reason why I'm so interested in this with especially the commercial thing is because last year I wanted to get into it just to, because I, you know, direct commercials for a mm-hmm. living Yeah. and then mm-hmm. I got addicted to it and then I booked something last yeah. year, but then COVID happened and I and now everyone's doing self tapes and I'm like fuck I don't even know how to do the process. So Erica Erica Breams teaches a self tape class and virtual audition class, where she'll critique everything. And I think for self tapes, what I've learned, even just from like asking friends, don't do a ring light. Don't do a ring light because it makes your eyes look like a demon. I heard this, soft light okay. Yes. Yeah, so I, I do, and I and a friend of mine who I admire greatly, his name's Philip Garcia. Yeah. He's my best friend. It's a little bit that we have. Oh, okay. Um, he does two softbox lights and two hairline lights. Oh wow! That come down from the the perimeter of the backdrop. Smart. His his tapes look fucking phenomenal. Right. And then he shoots it on a um, what are these DSLR? DSLR, yeah. And then you always have to have an, an external audio. Okay, so I think like one of the problems, probably the main problem people make, is the audio. Right. Because you can use your iPhone. It's 720, 1080, no problem. But get an external. Lavalier mic. Okay, that makes a lot of or sense. Or boom, I don't know, what the fuck you're going to get. And you just do it yourself, or do you have always someone there? I always have a reader, yeah. And then a friend of mine told me this. He said, uh, I don't know why I pointed at that. No, it's fine. <laughs> a friend of mine told me, uh, if you do use a digital reader, yeah. someone over FaceTime or another apparatus, print out a picture of an actual human face, because your eyes dilate when you speak to an actual human. Really? And if your self-tape is this close, and it's in like a scene where you're really connecting with someone, they might be able to see that. And some casting directors will look for that. That's what he said, and that's what they from that class. So you put a picture right in front of the camera, mm-hmm. like right where your eye line should be. If your eye line's over there, piss someone's face. That is so fascinating. Yeah, but I always try to have someone there. Okay, all right. And then for commercials, I do. I have an external webcam. Okay, that's HD, 
And then I plug in a Yeti that I just bought. I love those. And I have a blue backdrop that I drop. Do you think I can some, somehow do it in this room? Red. Yeah, I would do so red would, backdrop, lights pointing this way. So I would have like a stand here. Yeah, or yeah, or put a stand here. Then yeah, for sure, yeah. Interesting. Because I had a self-table audition uh, the other day. And, and you didn't like, do it. I was like, how? Do, yeah, that's what I emailed you. I was like, <laughs> this was like, they gave it to me like at 8 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, they get it done by 12. Oh, yeah. So and then I, I, was like, I was like, fuck me. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I want to learn this. This is fascinating. Yeah. And then I think we talked about like, I'm a numbers guy. I like, yeah. am motivated by numbers. I was like, you know what? I'm going to track everything from the day I got laid off and got severance to one year later. Okay. I had done 52 commercial auditions. 26 callbacks. Nice. And I had three bookings. My friend says, who books a lot of Geico and all these weird things, he says, if you get a callback, just think that you got it. As in, you know how many people mm-hmm. have like fucking yes. auditioned and never got a callback? Yeah. That's very smart of him. And yes, a callback is already a success. And right. that's another thing too, is like to really calibrate, you go, great. I'm very, I'm very grateful for this callback that I had today. Yeah. And again, that's, it just goes back to like a numbers game. You At some point, if you're, putting good work in and you i for me i think sometimes i do see the copy where i go okay that's really really gonna be me there are those ones where you like audition you go i can't believe i got that but yeah i would say 95 percent of the time when i book one i go i kind of knew i would book that particular yeah, one this is mine this yeah. is this is the greg that i know right yes so what is kind of i know that in in another like a lot of interviews talk about this but instead of saying like what is you know, like your five-year goal where do you see yourself in a year. In one year. And, Holy and shit. then and then yeah. Where do you see not like what do you want? Mm-hmm. But let's be let's be kind of like as as you're always doing data, as you're always thinking about it, like where do you see yourself in a year? Is it even predictable? You know? Yeah, who knows? I think with COVID, here's what I would like to see, and I'm I would hope to see. I hope that pilot season in twenty twenty one is robust. Mm-hmm. Who knows if it will be though? It most likely might not. Right. Well, maybe everyone always gets COVID shots and shit like that. I mean, I hope so. So with the caveat of there being a pilot season, I hope a year from now I will have had, if I'm really trying to like calibrate and be Zen, I hope I would just have had a lot of good opportunities to audition and show them who I am. Okay. Now, if I'm being selfish, I hope I fucking book a pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Stand up comedy. Anywhere in between there. doesn't matter. As long as it's like... Multicam. I don't sing- care. I'll do multicam. I'll do single cam. Yeah, you would crush it. Yeah, thank a lo- you. A lot of, uh, just to end on like an affirmation note, a lot of my friends, I was like, hey, I'm interviewing Greg Santos. So like, they're all, like Morgan came back to me, some other comedian, came Andrew Orolfo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They came back to me and they're like, dude, I can't wait because this guy's going to be big. Oh, man, that's and, and the reason why I say that is because I don't know about you, but I believe in kind of the environment that you are and I believe in kind of juju. That's a, I don't me believe, too. I don't believe in, oh, you do? I don't believe in like karma per se, mm-hmm. but I believe in juju. And so if everyone around you is kind of like saying that you're going to be something. Yeah. You're more likely to be something. It's like when Correct. I, okay, this is like a weird thing to say, and I, I'm not going to apologize for this, but it's like a middle class, six foot one white dude mm-hmm. living in like a suburb where their white parents are constantly going, I love you, I love you, you're going to be big. Mm-hmm. And then they turn on the TV and they see people like him, like yes. him succeeding. And so because that's all positive juju, yes. that you're more likely than not psychologically to be like, yeah. oh, I am going to be a success. Yeah. And so when you're surrounded by the environment of like Morgan J, Andrew Rolfo, myself and other people that look up to you, I think that like 
means something because yeah. you are fucking talented. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you have like a very deep empathetic story which is which is fabulous that you could definitely use for whatever comes next yeah so you know i just want to say thank you so much hey, thank you for being here and you are dope. great and oh, you're fucking you. cool <laughs> and <you>. successful <laughs> thank you we're trying uh where can people find you greg santos um well speaking of the social dilemma i deleted regular facebook okay but good. i do still have a fan page it's right. uh facebook dot com forward slash Greg M Santos or the Greg Santos. I actually yeah. forget. It's the Greg Santos actually. Thanks. Okay, it's the Greg Santos. My Instagram, which I truly is the only one that I care about, is Greg M Santos. That's what matters the most. I think Instagram yes. is the way to go, period. Yes. Right? Yeah. And Twitter is Gregory Santos. I'm barely there. I'm debating deleting it. I mean, if you might just wipe it and keep it as real if estate. You're, if you're in business, yeah, go on Twitter. That's what I say to like my friends are like, oh, if I have a podcast or if I'm into business, I'm like, oh my god, there's so many fucking connections that you can do on Twitter. It's yeah, I get so many gigs from that. But if you're not, just Instagram's my jam. Yeah, Instagram's a jam, and also you don't want to get canceled years from now because something that you accidentally tweet on Twitter. Yes, I mean, yeah, I've already cleaned all of that out. <laughs> oh shit, I need to do that. I have like three thousand tweets that I don't even know. I have four hundred and fifty. Because I cleaned it all out. What I'm now worried about, which I don't think there's an easy way, which I'm not worried per se, uh, I have like 20,000 likes because I've been on right. this app for years. I'm like, what if I like something in 2013 that can now be deemed inappropriate? Oh my God. I didn't even... Like Roseanne, she liked Correct. the QAnon thing and then everybody mm-hmm. saw. Oh my God. I can be very careful. Good thing I haven't like liked any like OnlyFans things. Right. Yeah. But then again, we are... It's funny uh, not to get back into the podcast but like just real quick anecdote no of course this is dude like no this is fun something i thought about for like stand-up it's just funny that we're in this world of like be yourself and 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 sexuality is on this spectrum and 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 love whoever you want and then someone would be like but you like this OnlyFans thing, you sicko. <laughs> it's like, well, which one is it? <laughs> it's like, let me, let I can make mistakes yeah. too as a human being, okay? Yeah. Again, like I said in the very beginning, like social media or like is always like, be yourself, but not that way. Mm-hmm. And yes. that is the hardest thing to grasp because yeah. I don't know. I'm just, we're both wild individuals and I want to yeah. say whatever I want to say, but yeah, we're always, I don't want to, I don't want to be tiptoeing my own person. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. I do think there's a little bit of good to be like, all right, I should be on my best behavior. But then there's like this other side where it's like, well, I could just say whatever I want. I just think you got to like hedge your hedge your bets and knowing like for me personally, I do want to work for Geico and Chrysler and yeah. Ford. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, I don't, I don't even have this belief, but like, I'm not going to go online and say something crazy. Right. In addition to that, it's because I also want to work for brands. Right. You're not at that point right now where you can exclude any sort of no. audience. But once you become the rock... Then you can then you can you endorse can, Biden. You can endorse Biden, get Harris, and Harris, get hate, and still people love you, dude. Have you seen the comments? It's insane. Yeah, people. Their comments are like, "I love you, Rod the Rock, but not not for this." And you, but he's so lovable that yes. a lot of people are like, "I'm not leaving you as a fan." I'm yes. just saying this is stupid. That's how the great The Rock is. Like he's yes. so fucking lovable. But it's any- also funny that someone goes, "Oh, great, you had to be political." Well, guess what? You saying, "Oh, great, you made this political," means you're political. Shit. So this guy's a fucking huge platform. You have nothing, you piece of shit. <laughs> this is right. This is where I get angry. Yes. Oh, this perfect. Is no, it's perfect. All right. So I love you, dude. Love you too. Thank you so much. Thanks for having and, me. And uh, don't forget, spill the fa everywhere. Woo! Bye. Thanks, dude. Dude, thank you. That was-